I'm Kathleen. And I'm Dee. And you're listening to Mamas with Attitude, otherwise known as MWA. Mama, 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 mama. Interesting, cool, South African, relevant yeah. content yeah. Um, on where we were at. Mm-hmm. You know, motherhood just comes to take on its different shapes and forms. Mommy's a bounce. Mommy's a bounce. Mama's the Jesus. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. Perfect. You're in another zone, but you're totally out of the twilight. Mama, 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 Mama. Previously on Mama's with Yes, tell us more. What 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 is that? Like so what are, what are the daily acts of kindness? Because that so, is part of the building, right? Yes. So my husband is like an act of service kind of guy. Okay. So he wants to do things. Everything, mm-hmm. and I'm lazy as fuck, so I love it. You know, he wants to go to the shops. He wants to fix a thing. He wants to give me food. He wants to make me tea. Yeah. He just wants to make sure that I'm okay. Yeah. He's one of those like people that's just like I'll do yeah. whatever as long as it makes you happy. So every day, well, is that like your husband? My partner. Oh, you're, he's like that. Mm. Some of them like you so weird. Leave me alone. <laughs> he's always like, what do you need? What do you need? So if you know, is so he's the, the guy with the acts of service, right? Yeah. Is he in service of other people around you, like broader mm. community, just broader than your family? He really is, mm. actually. So twice now he's been a Rambo, and I don't understand. So he fits the typical stereotype of a white person who runs to the danger. So. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever we hear screams from next door when we still lived in West Dean. Uh-huh. What does Tim do? <laughs> Put on his clothes, Rambo, you know, Chuck Norris, runs down the stairs, jumps over the neighbor's wall, finds the neighbor had been robbed and tied up, Whoa. breaks into the house when I'm staring. <laughs> I'm just praying to God, like, dear God, please can this man come back in one piece because so admirable what he's doing, but because who else is going to do it? Yeah, yeah. That's his whole thing. It's like, yeah. if I don't do it, who else is going to do yeah. it? So he rescues the neighbor. Mm. I thought, okay, one time thing, this man, okay. This time we're living in Craig Hall Park. The neighbors across the street, we hear screaming. What does he do? Runs again. <laughs> yes. So we were in the office, we were working, we have a business together. So we're in our meeting, we hear the alarm. He's like, Superman. Then he hears a scream. Before anybody can say anything, there's my husband crossing the street. Basically, yes. Anyway, goes in, there's been an attempted robbery. He's the first person on the scene, comforting everybody, making sure everybody is okay. I'm cautiously following, like, I know how this movie ends. They always call the black people. self-sacrificial someone and it's so admirable and so inspiring Mm -hmm. for me to watch him every day and how he deals with people their problem i mean he's been hijacked like four times and he's been let go four times unscathed because he just knows how to 
deal with people. Mm. He was, I hear that. He was kidnapped. I was six months pregnant. Oh, my God. He, we were at a friend's house in Melville. These guys came. And I think I knew the one guy because he looked like somebody that I went to school. You know when you see somebody who looks mm. like someone and you just know that they're related? They took him in the car, mm. kidnapped him, dropped him in Meadowlands thinking this white guy's not going to know Meadowlands or yeah. whatever. He walked to a spaza. He's like, right, gents. There was some guys watching soccer. My wife is pregnant. I was kidnapped. I took my car. I need to get back to my wife. Comes back in an hour. He was gone whoa, for an whoa, hour. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He was gone for an hour. From the time he was pushed into the car to the time he came back 16 deep in a taxi. Oh, <laughs> guys to come and see if we were okay. It was wow. literally 60 minutes. Quarter past 12 was when he was taken. The cops were in the area. So the oh, 20 past, they were there. Oh. Quarter past one, he rolled up Thanks. in an E20 with 15 guys. Wow. That he just incredible. That's just the way he is. Incredible. And then they left him there. They were like, okay, sharp, sharp, sharp. Take my husband. Where was where was he born? Where was he raised? He was he's a white South African. But where? In Cape Town. Can you imagine? He's that kind of a white person. He's a white Cape Tonian by birth. So did that take you by surprise that that was somebody who you resonated of with? Of course. Is, okay. <laughs> you love the way? <laughs> the look of like a dog, girl. Because first I thought, you know, I didn't know him, right? So I was like, okay, maybe he's not South African because, you know, white South Africans, yes. they can be some kind of yes. way. He's like, no, I was just a little bit suspicious, like, okay, white from Cape Town. <laughs> Christian upbringing, <laughs> but it was a human being. You know, it wasn't a creature like I expected. <laughs> I was like, okay, fine, I guess. You know, hashtag yeah. not all. Okay, so yeah. then now speak about speaking about, and I know that you're about to go off and do a spoof, but like mixed race family. It's not a real and thing kids. for us. It's not a real thing. No, I know that he's white. I'm aware, you know. <laughs> but we have so many similarities. You know, it's that thing of like. Ultimately, white supremacy is the only structure, and patriarchy and capitalism mm. are the structures that don't want any kind of mixing of humans. Mm. They want to keep humans as separate as possible because it works for the systems to be like that. Mm. But Ubuntu is about togetherness mm. and seeing the human through and beyond and above all of the things, as long yeah, as the yeah. human can see themselves and take responsibility for themselves. Mm. So we're there. Mm. And I don't want it to be like Rainbow Nation, Hanana, Hanana, no, Hanana. Because sure, sure. yeah. I'm aware of his privilege and I can see the ways that his privilege works for us, you know, Absolutely. materially, physically, in spaces <laughs> and things like that. I can see how him being a white male has also helped him. And yes. he's aware of that. And I think if, as long as he's aware, then we're good. Mm. And he's very much aware of that. Mm. And I'm, I'm aware of it, but it's not, a, it's not as big a deal as people like to make it out to be. I think if you have it figured out, yeah, and that's not something that sits in an uncomfortable place in the relationship, then I mean... It's not exceptional. You know? Exceptional. Yeah. yeah. My yeah. mom is Sutu, that's... my mom, my dad is Zulu. So they've come from different cultures. Yes. So I've seen it. My grandmother is Tonga, my grandfather mm. was Sutu. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So I have been raised, and my, I'm not the first person in my family to marry a white person. My dad's grandfather had a white wife. Mm. So there's a lot of first-generation mixed-race people mm. who then, because of the, what is the group areas, were forcefully removed, ended up in colored areas, married. So there's like a whole line of like colored people in my family, now colored, mm. but were... But were actually but mixed. Were actually mixed. Yes, so my yes. dad's 
brothers. My dad's got brothers mm. and uncles mm. who were mixed race. Sure, sure. Yeah. Mm. And I a lot of that. them have passed away. Some of them are still alive. And mm. Auntie Pat is still alive. So she's the sister of that generation. So mm. like one of the younger ones. So it's not a big deal mm. from where I come from. And it's not mm. like the first time it's been done. It's not such a big thing at all. And people like to make it out so... Because physically we look so different. Mm. And because South Africa is so race-driven because of yeah. our history, it's understandable. But it's not such a... Once you get to a person and you see a person for who they are, then those things can just... You're aware of it, but it's like there's a person Mm. beyond all of that. Mm. And your kids, I mean, these started this... um, Or is... is, I don't know, I'm speaking on your behalf, and Mm. so correct me if I'm wrong, but there's... These play group has got um, this thing running around how kids perceive race or not thing running. Mm. They went to a talk and there was this, a series of conversations because mm. there's a whole bunch of parents who have adopted kids who are not the same race as them. Yeah. Um, around how do you navigate race within with with, with small children? Do, how are kids perceiving that? What 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 should your responses be? How should you approach it? Which I thought was super interesting. I have to admit because we, then you kind of invited me into that space and I was just like, this is interesting and a bit bizarre for me because of partly my upbringing i also have a black partner it's i, I didn't feel the, ne- the necessity for necessarily a talk mm. but i you know what i mean so yeah. i think but what what's been interesting for me is i'm now now that all of our friends are starting to have kids or, or have kids that are the same age is that they're starting to have questions that come up that are kid driven do you have that your kids don't ask? they have no not at all mm. And thinking about my own upbringing, grew up, <clears throat> my dad was a freedom fighter, so we, and my, you know, they were both in the ANT in the struggle, so our community was always very diverse. Yeah. So I've had the privilege of yeah. not being brought up for the first couple of years of my life properly in South Africa, mm. so then I didn't get that hang up. I grew up in a very diverse community, all types of Africans, all types of races, all the time. Yeah. And so there was never a thing. I remember my mother making reference to, to Indian people when I was four, and I remember it sticking with me because I was like, what is an Indian person? Mm. Even though there were Indian people mm. in my community, mm. I had no idea mm. what yeah. that meant. She said, um, so she made reference to somebody as an Indian person. And I was like, what? What's what? that? Yeah. You know? And then nobody explained anything to me. I forgot mm. about it. And then later, when we moved back to South Africa, mm. then it became a thing. Because then my mom says, the first thing that happened when we moved back is that our neighbor, Dr. Radish, um, was an, an Indian man from India with his family. And my brother asked her, is Dr. Radish, Malume Radish, is he Indian or is he white? Mm. And my mother was like, it was the first time any of you had ever mm. said anything about race, had ever noticed that a person is a different yeah. race when we moved back to South Africa. And she says her heart broke and she knew mm. that we were home she was like i knew we were in south africa when that happened it is such a south africanism yeah such a south africanism because i mean okay this talk just briefly you know this woman was speaking about how kids actually they don't necessarily notice race they notice difference from self Yes. So they're just like, oh, mama, you're like this. Any, anything. Uh, exactly. The yeah. traffic light yeah. has gone green. Yeah, it yeah. was red. You know, any kind of difference, which I mean, we all understand. And I think many people in the room could recognize. Because mm. also whiteness in this country carries its own anxieties mm. around how to speak about race. And I think that if you are a white parent to a black child, which many in the pe- people in the room were, the conversation also took on its own tone because of that. Okay. Because of those anxieties and also, so like one of the women, um, she, she'd grown up in Botswana. So she was saying kind of what you just said. Mm. She was like, I don't understand because this isn't how I grew up. So it's really hard for me. And I mean, whatever, you know, we can get into yeah. each of the comments or whatever. But I mean, it, it, it is interesting, Kath, because I don't think that this kind of conversation about race and how we speak to children about race is 
as pertinent almost anywhere else in the world. Perhaps yeah. in the US. Maybe in the US, there, but even there it's a different kind of tone. Very different, yeah. We haven't said anything to our kids about race and they haven't said anything to us yeah. at all, at all. And I don't think, I mean, I don't know your kids, but I, I mean, I almost don't think they will because parents who are mixed, where there's a kind of mixed race family, they, quite a few people now have said to me, they don't, they just don't think about it in a way where they feel they need to instill it. Well, it's, it's only like for other people, that yes. comes, It's only other yeah. people who are interested in how we navigate race in our yes. lives and our families. Exactly. But because our community is so diverse, we all are aware that we come from different cultures. Yeah. They're not sure. as interested in how do you navigate having Tonga friends when you're Zulu. You nobody, like nobody, nobody cares about that. Shit. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. why should it be? Why is it? Why is it that? So yeah. we, our kids know, like Kimati knows that he's the same color as T. Mm. And he hasn't said anything about my skin color or his father's skin color. Mm. Yeah. And he knows that he's got ancestors from where it's very cold. Yeah. Mm. And he told his yes, teacher that. Yes, yes, yes. He knows that. He knows that he's an African child. He knows that he's Zulu and English. Yes. He knows that he's a Mkiza and he's a whole. That's all he needs to know. What yes. else does us? I mean, race is a social construct. It really doesn't matter, but it does in a way. But they will form their own ideas because they are mixed race. They know that they... Well, I know that my children are African. They'll never be white. Because mm. whiteness doesn't play that. Mm. Sure, you sure. know, they can be Zulu. If they want to be, they can be mixed. If they want mm. to be... Absolutely. But they'll never be white. Mm. So I actually... I had this conversation with, um, with my partner about family of his, basically. You know, I don't want to get into it because... I don't know how people feel about their things. But they have mixed kids, right? But these kids can pass, essentially. Yeah. And I was saying to him, what I find so interesting about that is that there won't be a conversation there. Because I've actually asked just because I'm burst. Mm. But I, 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 I think I asked their mom or something, you know, what are their thoughts and feelings around this? And she was like, no, no, no. We don't think about that at all. So I was like, okay, cool, cool. But now here's my thing. I almost feel like it's... it's I don't know, dangerous isn't the right word, but it can get really messy for kids who might think themselves white yeah. in the world when you're not white and the world then decides that's you're not white. It's only dangerous in that sense, exactly. but my children will never have that problem no, because no, they definitely that. don't, they will never look white. I hear that. You know, so it's only, it's, see, whiteness and white supremacy is the only threat here. Absolutely. You know. And the danger, because exactly. buying into that, you assert your own identity via whiteness mm. and then whiteness pulls the right out from under your yes. you're not here again exactly how was your day today Carl? fine what did you do um lucas and um harry In wrapping up, we wanted to chat to you a bit about nutrition, mm. especially around mothering, feeding another person, feeding yourself. Yeah. Uh, you've been putting a lot of stuff on Instagram around what you what you're eating and how you're feeding your body and how you're feeding your body to to to, to feed your your baby. Um, and there's a book that you referenced that I meant to go and look for yesterday, and obviously I've gotten lost it. But it's essentially a book that I think is a Black South African who does indigenous. Oh, yes, it's Ding. Yes, oh. yes, yes. Okay, so you you reference the the, the, the that that particular book a lot yeah mm. um maybe just speak a little bit about what your thoughts are what your approach is how it has changed with fall if okay. at all so i've had to become very mindful because of my pregnancies and having these big kids i always have a blood sugar problem in my pregnancies there's type okay. 2 that runs in my family and hypertension as well so in order to have the safest possible pregnancies i have to try to stay away from kind of food that isn't aligned with my genetics mm. you know mm. and i'm mm. not very good at it sometimes but i do try and there's a book that I'm using a lot now. It's called Eat Ding by Paul. I can't. It's Chukutu or Tsukutu. Okay. Um, she's a dietitian, and she's actually was helping me through my last. Pregnancy.
pregnancy a lot and I had to go on a a gluten-free, dairy-free, whatever, sometimes, diets as much as I could. And it's looking at bringing in indigenous ways of preparing food and indigenous diets into a modern and contemporary context. So it's like replacing mealy meal and things with like millet, Mm. sorghum and things like that, Mm. which is something that my body can break down a lot easier because of my genetics and my history and all of that. And I try to make food for the kids Mm. from scratch as much as I can and keep them away from, you know, developing a risk for type 2 later on in their lives because my father is diabetic and his brother was diabetic and so on and so forth. Mm. My mom is hypertensive. So the food that we eat as a family and the food that I try to make for my family is as close to and in the, the diet of my grandmother as much as I can handle it. And doing that again in an urban setting is a completely different thing. Yeah. I mean, I had a grandmother who, who was uh, living in Nongoma. You could not get her to eat anything. Like the chicken had to make you, that was a chicken that was a hard body, right? Yes. Running around forever. Mm. She did not eat anything with preservatives. She didn't eat anything that came out of a can. She was very specific. So having her come and visit any one of us mm. was hard. Yeah. Because how does one then cater to that kind of diet yes. in an urban setting or even peri-urban? It was it was difficult. Mm-hmm. It's very how, how what are some of the life hacks that you're it's well, just hard. what are some of the meals? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So in terms of grains, mm. because my kids are now also half European, my husband is like he wants to eat his bread and he likes to have his pasta and all of that. So I do cook those things. Mm-hmm. I just don't eat them as much as the rest of my family does and they love like mac and cheese chicken nuggets and things like that Mm -hmm. so I do give them all of those things which are convenient and easy when I'm tired that's what I do but from scratch I just try to make everything with as much vegetables as possible and as much stock as possible okay Mm -hmm. and stock do you make your own stock yeah Mm -hmm. I do and then I also buy stock as well I mean Woolies has stock Mm -hmm. it's just that you know you can't control the salt content if you buy things and you can't control the sugar content if you buy things so I make things like black bean brownies okay Mm -hmm. and then I sweeten it with honey or xylitol but I try to and it's expensive you know yes yeah, them is cheap yeah. because they haven't you know our you know who's haven't worked out that it's actually a very good food so it's still quite accessible <laughs> and cheap yeah. and um millet pearl millet buckwheat yes. and those kind of grains mm. have been a, a lifesaver yeah for us because yeah. those are what we use but you get them in small packets and they're yes. expensive yes. so i try to switch it up and use sweet potatoes um pumpkin and butternuts as much as i sure. can in the diets and introduce grains and sugars late okay yeah okay but dairy i found a, a there's a shop in Bryanston, um the organic market where they sell unpasteurized milk okay. which is okay. from a particular kind of cow and because the you know lactose intolerance isn't a real oh, thing dairy yeah you know it's not a dairy problem it's a type of dairy problem mm. so i found the right kind of dairy that works for me and i i don't really give it to the kids as much we give them pasteurized milk for now but i'm gonna as they get older because of the um they haven't grown up with it they might react a little bit to the bacteria and all of that so i'm slowly introducing and pasteurized milk into their diets but still giving them kind of organic milk where i can mm. and then all of the kind of indigenous grains that I can find mm. as well. And I cook everything from scratch maybe five times. We have pizza Fridays. Mm. So we still do have all of that stuff, but we have fried pizzas on a Friday but during the week and on a Sunday I try to cook as many. I just put vegetables as mm-hmm. much as I can mm-hmm. in their lunches. I, I give them leftovers and sometimes a sandwich but normally they have like a protein uh, indigenous starch and vegetables and fruit mm-hmm. as much as possible mm-hmm. and like lots and lots of water and it was an issue for us when we started going to kiddies parties because we saw how much yeah. sugar people were giving their kids and I was like do I become their parent or do I just leave them and now we've just left them and they have their sugar when they have it and I'm okay with that I've made mm-hmm. peace with this little but not at home mm-hmm. but not at home mm-hmm.
I think that's yeah. all one can do to retain your level yeah. of sanity. Because otherwise then you can't go to parties and then they're going to be those kids who can't have anything at the parties. And I yes. don't want them to grow up having a dysfunctional relationship with food. I want them to have an open and all-embracing relationship with food and know that these are the things we eat a lot of. Mm. These are the things we eat sometimes. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Which is pretty much how we all need to be. Yeah. Everything in moderation yes. and an awareness of what you're consuming, right? So that makes sense. Yeah. So I don't want them to have like a, you know, they know. And I once made um, cacao milkshakes mm. okay. for them using almond milk cacao mm. banana and dates, dates. Mm. and I gave and it was like it was such a treat for them they're getting chocolate milkshakes and then one of the kids that was visiting was like this is not a chocolate milkshake and I was like oh well this is a chocolate milkshake this in our cho- house this yeah. is what it's like in our house yeah. so they know like black bean brownies they love them they love the cacao things we make nice cream mm. you know instead of like buying ice cream I make the nice. Ice, nice cream at home That's so sweet. and yeah. with frozen bananas it's a whole activity so I keep the kids in the kitchen as well yes. and we prepare food mm-hmm. together as much as they want to participate and even with like cleaning up and all of that because I want them to grow up to feel positive around food and not have this anxiety mm-hmm. that comes with living in the city and trying to eat healthy brings an anxiety with it that mm-hmm. can cause a lot of um, dysfunction and I just don't want them to have that thing. Sure. I want them to understand food as a very complex and enriching substance rather than a punishing thing that mm-hmm. can make you sick or that's not good for you mm-hmm. or that's mm-hmm. evil or that's like a treat or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That makes a lot of sense and I think that it, it, it is an, an area that that brings a lot of anxiety for me anyway and I think mm. that also what's interesting is that I think that as a, like for me as a mom I have there's certain things that I've given up on and there's certain things that I've like this is my battle this is what yeah. I'm going to I'm going to fight on mm. and I do kind of feel like now and granted it is only 11 weeks into this kid's life so I'm exhausted yes. but food is one of them so my kid only wants carbs because he's a big this is a toddler yes. because he's a big boy mm. and I try like I give him a, he eats apples he eats some fruit so he, I'm like okay this is where he's winning mm. but you just give up on the, the rest. You, you know what I mean? But what I'm saying is that I would like now that I, I can start to kind of see myself emerging not really but like you know what I mean in yeah. the future you'll, you'll come out I want to come out and be enough of like I like the idea of like preparing stuff with the kids in and out of the kitchen that yes. have a lot of fluidity I like involving them as as you said as much as they can participate showing them the food as you say is not punitive but like those those are things that really resonate with me but those are things that I do feel like I've lost in like once falling pregnant and then now having a small baby you're just like yeah this is one of those things that I just don't want to fight yeah and it's okay you know because I, you know the other thing that I'm wary of is not internalizing the anxiety of American moms yeah because they have a different world of food altogether where Touching. they are and then they don't dominate the discourse around nutrition for children mm-hmm. because that's what you see on the blogs that's what you see on Instagram yes. and that's another world altogether mm-hmm. we have access to fresh food mm-hmm. and buying fresh produce is not a big thing in South mm-hmm. Africa you can no. go to any taxi rank you can go mm-hmm. to any shop and mm-hmm. find good quality fruits and vegetables at a reasonable price unlike in the States yeah. it's very much a class thing yeah, yeah. you know so I don't want to also internalize the projections and anxieties of American moms feeding their children in that kind of environment mm-hmm. as to my own mm-hmm. because that's not our reality here at all mm. you know mm. and, I, and I also don't want to feel as my, like in myself that I'm failing as a parent if my children eat nuggets two days in a row I will give my kids nuggets. Yeah, mm-hmm. happily. Yeah, happily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even have an issue with that. Yeah. And I'm not going to make them from scratch either. They'll come out of a box. <laughs> and it's okay. And no, it's okay. It's, but I mean, you're also, I think you're both kind of speaking to something beyond just the food, mm. right? Which is around, you know, how do we package these perfectly yeah. whole foods 
bag children yeah. and and you can't you know and i think i think also what you're saying is that there's something around um what you're saying nokolinda um that there's something around a kind of gentleness also that one needs to practice with self as yes. a mother right mm. so fuck it man if you're going to do chicken nuggets cuz now it's late and you're tired and chicken nuggets it is and kids like it and i also want my kids to be able to go to anyone's house and eat comfortably yes that too and exactly. be able to fellowship and relate with other human beings because food is a central point of relating absolutely and i don't want them to get to other people's homes and be like oh we don't eat this this thing is bad they must be able to go anywhere in my family yes. to any family member and mm. eat and what's on their plate yeah. yes without feeling like they're doing the wrong thing or those people are wrong or mm. there's not space for them here because the food is so different to what they're eating at home mm. i mean my mother gives my kids all types of things and i think she does it for that reason as well she just won't say it like that but she's just like no they're at my house they're going to eat what i give them and my mother yeah. will just be like slap chips and what and i'm just I like okay. think that that's fair right yeah, and grandparents okay. well like i was at somebody's house and they, they she's got two kids the the grandfather so her father comes up to her and says is it okay if i give said grandchild a lychee and i was floored i came back and told dia i was just like i don't understand these moms who are trying to dictate what certainly what grandparents are giving their kids yeah. and i get it like no like you must do try and and safeguard your kids from those sorts of things but like the reality is that you can't and mm. also you must allow grandparents to be grandparents be grandparents mm. that's their role is mm. to indulge the child and give yeah. the child too many sweets you yeah. know sure sure, sure. and it's yeah. okay i mean sugar yeah. is not good for us i get it yeah. but also really we are drinking this water we are having these vaccinations honestly we're breathing this air we're breathing this air you know what i mean like mm. they are they are bigger battles and then it becomes a personal failure unto the mother yeah. when they can't be like you say package these perfectly organic children and it's just like okay my father once brought a cake to the house when i wasn't there mm. and my daughter my second born was 7 months old mm. my father gave her a slice of cake and send me a picture just like it was my birthday <laughs> sounds like something my dad and you were like happy birthday and there's my little girl like just like devouring the cake she was just like seven months old eating cake and I thought oh, and he knew <laughs> but what can you say yeah Yeah. You know, now I must fight with my parents because of that. It's just like I need to pick my battles, man. There's so many other things to worry about. Pick your about. battles. Pick yeah. your battles. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm doing what I can. I'm trying my best, but also I need to be kind, like you said, yeah, yeah. with myself, and not have this become another now hurdle that I'm failing and overcoming as a mother in the city. It's just mm-hmm. like my kids are gonna grow up. They'll be relatively healthy. I think about yeah. how we grew up. They'll be fine. So They'll make fine. their own decisions, and yeah. it's okay. It's fine. Yeah. But I try when I can. But I'm okay with them eating rice krispies too. It's like it is what it is. Is what it is. Yeah, yeah. it is what it is. And there's not, there only so much you can control. Exactly. Okay, so yeah, so I think that this br- brings us to the end of this episode, which was uh, always it's always a meander, but I feel like a bit more of a meander with you. And I think that, um, like Dee said in the in, in 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 the beginning, I think that you are constructing such an incredible platform through your Instagram, and I, we referenced it a lot during the course of this interview because I think that just going through it, and there's so much that resonates mm. with moms who are like never. getting and trying to find their way. Mm. Um so I think that we I, I would anyway just like to say thank you and just show mm. utter gratitude. Mm. Um you. one for your time that and 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 agreeing and nominating yourself. I nominated <laughs> I was like I like this blog I want to be on it. <laughs> Thank you. Um nominating yeah. yourself but also just your time and also the time that you spend constructing that and Absolutely. sharing your your wisdom and speaking about Absolutely. your birth and speaking about your experiences mm. in quite an authentic way. It doesn't feel like anything to me I suppose but sure because, yeah. but I mean I think so one of the things I was thinking a lot about is how you're actually creating an archive 
yeah. of stuff around being a mom, yes, being a partner and a wife, around like these different identities that you piece together. And I'm sure they're not, they don't all fit neatly. You, yeah, you are creating this very special and unique archive, but also it's an archive that many of us are in and out of all the time because mm. we're all creating our own yes. personal archives, right? And just, I mean, it's not common to see, you know, young black women in the city are doing the most all the time. It's wonderful. It's it's, it's incredible to see. Like, they're doing so much of everything. But it is not that common to experience conversations around all the things that you touch on in a way where you also feel like it's accessible to you, you know, where you look at someone and you're going, hey, I I sound and feel like that. Yeah, Mm. you know, that resonates for me. And I think that's a huge deal. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for that recognition. I guess it doesn't feel like that to me. I'm just sharing my life. Sure. And it's good. I mean, for my practice as a Sangoma, it's important for me to be accessible and for people to be able to relate to me so that I can do my work. Absolutely. You know, but I'm, I'm glad that my what feels kind of effortless and fun for me is something that is, you know, kind of occupying a, a special space yeah, in yeah. people's lives. I, yeah. I like to hear that. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, I'm Kathleen. And I'm Dee. And you're listening to Mamas with Attitude, otherwise known as MWA. The same way I immerse myself in my career. Yeah. You've now immersed yourself in motherhood. I've now immersed myself in motherhood. Mommy's a bounce. Mommy's a bounce. Mama's the bones. Weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, motherhood just comes to take on its different shapes and form. Mama, mama, mama. <laughs> no, actually, seriously, on a serious note, it's it's been really dope. Thank you. Okay, bye. Mama.